I find it funny, the comedic timing that God has. Sometimes I think we forget that God has a sense of humor or that his timing can be funny, if not ironic. The Bible is actually full of sarcasm and humor. It's where we get our humor from. And this really resonated with me this week as I was preparing our sermon on the passage. I was thinking back about my life. And I should qualify first that there isn't anything particularly funny in our passage. But the fact that we're talking about it this weekend, I find it very funny in light of where I was two years ago. Two years ago on the 9th, I was on the third leg of a 28-day trip, the longest trip that I had ever done as a professional pilot. My previous boss and his wife, a well-known billionaires, they use their aircraft for a lot of vacation and personal travel, pretty much to anywhere and everywhere in the world. And this meant that we, the crew, also got to go on vacation, if you will, in these spots. And there were perks to this. An expense account, I got to see places that I might not otherwise see. And while I think this may always sound delightful to folks when I tell them the stories, it wasn't always so. Traveling on someone else's schedule, being available 24-7 to their demands, needs, being able to go somewhere on a whim can be really taxing. And also, to be honest, I'd much rather travel with the people that I love than coworkers, even though I worked with really great coworkers. And this particular trip was three stops throughout South America, uh, mostly in Argentina with the last stop in a place called Ushuaia, the city at the end of the world. Ushuaia is the farthest southern point in the world. It's the entrance to the Drake Passage, and it's how most people get to Antarctica. And for reference, it's about 7,000 miles from where we are standing right here. So you could say it's not really close. And it was this trip in this location at the end of the world where God changed my life in a huge way. And I'll save the details of that trip for fellowship afterwards about how God broke me and why when I came back home I just quit my job. But I think a lot of it can be summed up in the big idea of what we're going to talk about today. Contentment. I was discontent, like really discontent. I was in love with money, like really in love with money. I was wrapped up in all the wrong things while trying to talk about it like I was wrapped up in all the right things. But at the root of it was my lack of contentment, my lack of trust in God. I was more worried about what man could do to me instead of focusing on what God had already done for me. So this trip, being 7,000 miles away, yearning deep in my soul to come home and to live a meaningful life for God, this trip is where it reorganized my world around contentment and trust in God. I think, well, honestly, I know that God uses timing in our lives to make specific points, to drive home certain ideas. And this is especially true for me. Last week, I mentioned that the final chapter of Hebrews is full of actionable exhortations. That letters in the first century were usually written, split between doctrine in the first part of it, and then duty in the second. And last week, we also spoke about Christian behavior in relation to others, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. And so this week, we're going to focus on Christian behavior as it relates to ourselves, especially in terms of contentment which really just relates back to our trust in God. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 through 9. Hear the word of God. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. 
What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by strange or diverse teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So this is a pretty heavy passage with only a few verses in it. And I'd really, I'd like to just kind of break it down to a highlight, but I want you to keep in mind as I break this down with a specific focus on contentment in Christ. So the author tells us a few things, right? He says, first, stay away from adultery. Second, keep our lives from the love of money. Third, then be content with what we have. Fourth, remember those who are religious leaders and follow their way of life. And then lastly, do not be led by strange or false teachings. And I'm going to expand on all of these, but that's the basic exhortation list from the passage. And there are more details provided and some reasons given on why to avoid these things, and we'll get into that. But in general, this is our list of do's and don'ts. And what do all these things have in common? Well, they have a, in common contentment or a lack of contentment. And what we're going to see is that real contentment can only come from Christ. So Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. This passage starts off with a pretty big and in your face command. Don't defile the marriage bed. Don't commit adultery. And that's pretty much like common sense, right? With the exception of some of the new rules of our over-sexualized culture, everybody basically knows, don't cheat, don't commit adultery. Even those who are married with no religious background or belief have a general understanding that you're not supposed to defile the marriage bed. So I think we can all agree that cheating on your spouse is an important thing to avoid. But why? Well, there's a few reasons. The first, of course, is the sacredness of marriage in the eyes of God, the union of male and female, not just for procreation, but because it is a representation of God's relationship with us. Marriage should be a sacrificial love, one that also includes a hierarchy, but when biblically executed, leads to amazing results. This leads to a robust biblical family and home, which thus also through sacrificial loving relationships are the outward expression of God's love and also an inward one. We get to experience God's love through the sanctity of marriage. The church and us are considered Christ's bride using that marriage metaphor that we've heard before. We get to experience a different kind of love, support and sacrifice and service through marriage. So then what causes the marriage bed to be defiled? If we know that marriage is this image for, for us here on earth, why do we break it? Sin. We know that we have a heart problem, a sinful heart problem. And sin, many times, starts with a lie. A lie that if we only had this, then we will be happy. And this lie is based all around discontent, especially true in relationships, and it's incredibly more so when sex gets involved. We can think things like, if my wife only looked like, if my husband was only a bit more. Or then we can think about those perfect social media relationships that we've seen online, people posting their perfect lives. And then you compare it to your own and you start thinking about how you're not as content as those people appear to be. 
You see, Satan will use discontent that we have in our lives to tell us lies, to rationalize our behavior and to drive us into a place of sin, promising that it will actually make us feel better. But here's the spoiler alert. It never does, ever. There may be temporary enjoyment, but that fades. And then we become discontent again and we start seeking more and more. It's why our sinful desires can never fully be quenched and ultimately leave us with wanting more. However, this discontent doesn't just live with sexual sin, it lives in money too. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I love money. Like, loved, 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 loved it. And I was broke for a really long time, despite making a really good salary. In a previous life, in a previous relationship, it included crazy spending issues, sometimes to the tune of $13,000 a month. And when I was free from the unhealth of that relationship and rebuilding my life, instead of being in a good place of money then, I still became a slave to it. How much could I make and how fast could I make it? What things could I buy that money would show my financial security and wealth to others? Even the jobs I took, not just for the salary that they paid, but being able to brag about the folks that I was working for, especially in some of the last jobs I had, being able to, to brag about rubbing shoulders with the top tier of the richest people around. But the problem is money is temporary. Everybody knows this. It's a tool. It's helpful to provide us with the things that we need, shelter, food, clothing, but it can also easily drive us to sin. Instead of buying a house that we need, we can instead get sucked into buying the house that we want others to see us in. Instead of providing us with the food that we need, we can use it to feed a gluttonous desire. Instead of providing practical clothing, we can use it to buy name brands to show off how much money we have or our status to other people. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You see, family, it isn't that money is bad. It's our love of money that makes it sinful. This is where Satan will, will dig in through our discontent and manipulate our wealth to a sinful end. And instead of money providing us with opportunities to live a better life dedicated to love and service of others and our Lord, we can be obsessed with having more because we deserve it. Or we can be obsessed with having more because we're putting our trust in it instead of God. And see, the author uses these first two big imperatives around adultery and money and a reminder about our lack of contentment and how it drives us to sin and how this sin will cause us to be judged. And he, he tells us to be content with what we have because he will never leave us and forsake us. And in these verses, I think this is the transition point. Because when we change our life from one of discontent to one of content, really great things happen. Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When we are content with our standing with the Lord and in life, then we get to confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And this is a huge deal. Because what it, it says to us is that no matter what our circumstances are in life, whether we're rich or poor, or free or a slave, or high or low, that if God is with you, man can do nothing to you. Paul really gets at this at one of my favorite verses, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, 
for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's funny about this, ironic about this, humorous about this, is that Paul's writing this letter, this joyous letter, from prison to the church in Philippi. And even in prison, which in the first century we know is no club med, he can still be content because he has Christ with him. Christ is strengthening him. And so our author in our text today continues on not just to remind us that man cannot do anything to us since we are in Christ, but then he gives us directions on how to live that way, how to get to and stay in this place of contentment. 13.7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So first he starts off by saying, remember your leaders, those who taught you the word of God. What are we supposed to do with them? We are to look at the way that they live their life and imitate their faith. I can hear it now. Wait, imitate their faith? But that just sounds so unauthentic. Shouldn't I wait until I feel like doing it the way they do theirs? No, absolutely not. We all actually know this and do this. It's how we get into a routine or how habits form. How many of you here have had to learn routines that were tough for you, but still really important? Most people don't like to get up early. And actually, for me, it's not really my favorite thing, except I rise early every single day. Why? Because my mornings are usually really productive. It's when I pray and study and write and I get my day lined up. It, it's kind of the springboard for how my day is going to go. But getting up early was a learned skill. I learned how to just get up and get out of bed by practicing it, even when I didn't feel like it, refusing to hit that snooze. Our faith is similar. It's the same. When we have religious leaders and mentors who are godly people, we should be looking at their lives and mimicking their behavior. Why? Because we can see the outcome of how they live, how they are connected with their creator, how they deal with suffering, how they are in a place of joy. And we should want that. They should be inspiring us through their faith that way. So what we should do is look at how they live their lives and then mimic it, replicate it. That will actually lead us into deeper faith. And if you don't believe me, try it. And it's what, what's said in verse 8. So Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So what in your life is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Except Jesus. Politics sure isn't. Your bank account isn't. Your job isn't. Your kids aren't. I mean, everything in our material world changes. Nothing is actually staying the same. So if we rest our hope and contentment on this world, we will always be left yearning for more. Our discontent will drive us from God and deeper into sin. It is because of the very fact that God is unchanging that we can have any type of contentment at all. He is who he says he is. He has always been, always is, and always will be. Nothing in your life other than Jesus can make that claim. If you don't believe me on that, take some time tonight and really think it through. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not foods, which have not benefited those de devoted to them. The author gives us a final exhortation, kind of tying it all together. He warns us against strange teachings and to stay away from them. 
because our heart should be strengthened by grace. And in, in his example, he's going to use not food. The reason he uses this example is because we have to think back to that first century audience again, those first century Jews that he's writing to. Food and the laws with food, what we would call today kosherut, it's a fancy Hebrew word for kosher, which just means fit, fit to eat, would have really struck a chord with this audience. They were guided by incredible dietary laws, ones that religious Jews still keep today. And this idea of kosher food, fit food, it doesn't mean that it was blessed by a rabbi. It just means that those foods were determined by the legalistic structure of the Pharisees and the Jews to be fit, appropriate for them to eat. But the point the author is making is that this law, this law in keeping kosher, didn't actually provide any benefit to the people who ate them. I mean, it was still just food. But God's grace... That is where the real benefit comes from. And we fall into this trap today, not with the laws of kosher, but with doctrines that move us away from the Bible, that help us rationalize the way of living that a lot of people are right now in our current culture in 2021. It's the way of living that goes directly against God's desire for how we should be living our lives. So these things, these other ways of living may feel like food. They may feel like it's really good for us. But really, it's our discontent speaking to us. It's our sinful heart looking for more instead of resting assured in the one foundation in our life that is immovable, Jesus Christ. So when we look at the exhortations uh, the, today to ourselves, this idea of, of what we should be thinking about uh, to ourselves, we see that it all centers around contentment. That the thing in our life that we're supposed to have as believing Christians, that that idea of contentment can only come from Christ. And that's because he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is unchanging. And because he is unchanging, we can put all of our trust in to him. And this brings me a lot of peace because so much of our world is in crazy flux. And truly, I was really discontent when I was in Yeshua two years ago. I knew I needed to quit my job, but I was terrified to quit my job. So I immediately started talking to Kristen about newer, better what I thought would be more satisfying jobs that I could take. I mean, it was like a serious hot panic. I was searching for contentment in strange teachings, worldly ones, instead of leaning into God. But after God was done beating me over the head and I quit my job, I took time to really pray and evaluate my life and everything changed. I began to feel the actual concept of biblical contentment that Paul mentions in Philippians. And I was able to joyously shout out what we read in verse 6 of our chapter today. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because there is nothing in this world that man can do to harm me. Because of my faith, hope, and trust in Christ. Jesus is my foundation. All of my contentment is wrapped up in him. Not my job, not my money, not my kids, airplane, friends, my wife, anything else. And because of that... I can appreciate and enjoy all of these things as they were supposed to be enjoyed. With Christ as the head, me as his servant, grateful and happy for exactly what I have in this moment, not yearning for more, all I really want is a deeper and more meaningful relationship with my creator. And so that's my prayer for all of us here, that we'll learn how to lean into exactly where God has us today, in this moment, and be content with it.
not looking for more, not allowing sinful desires to demand more and more. We need to stop looking for what we don't have and then be content with what we do, which is the best gift ever, grace from our Lord Jesus Christ, which no man can ever touch. Let's pray.